Whitelist.io. Welcome to the Coast to Coast Podcast. We are back here with episode 39. I'm your host, Kyle Creasy, and today I'm joined by Pacers beat writer Scott Agnes. Scott, what's up, man? Hey, good to talk with you. A lot yeah. going on in Pacers world, as I'm sure we'll get into here. Yeah, been looking forward to it. Was able to get a hold of Scott uh, via Twitter and able to work this out. So glad we could finally get it going. Um, first things first, I want to touch on it immediately. Miles Turner's extension. Um, I didn't really know if I saw it coming to this point. Uh, I guess I, for some, like, as we kept going, I was like, I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if he's going to get traded. What was your guys' kind of intel and what was your, I guess, surprise level if that an extension actually happened? Yeah, I was surprised at the timing of it. That it, I mean, even he was. For example, his mom and dad weren't here. Mm. And so they weren't able to make the press conference, which was on Monday. They were trying to fly in day of from Dallas, but weather complicates it. But is that not as telling as it is that they weren't exactly expecting it, that his parents and his business manager weren't even in town for the occasion and the official signing? So uh, that part was certainly surprising. I think uh, it was notable the length of the contract i was only two years uh, i think i was expecting if if an extension got done for it to be at least another year maybe four years ideally for both sides yeah. um i didn't play into too much of the hype about him being on the trade market or anything like that because he really wasn't it's other teams calling him calling the pacers about him the time when they offered him was in 2020 for gordon hayward but since then outside of the kind of awkward dance this summer signing DeAndre Ayton to an offer sheet, they've been fully committed to him. That was that was a unique situation that probably is not even worth getting into too much. But the fact that you could maybe add a guy like DeAndre Ayton, who's you know four years younger and has, hasn't even hit his peak, uh, for you to add something like that, a, a guy that Phoenix and him just clearly didn't work out, um, even though the marriage is still together. But for Miles, it was a big day. Uh, I think it also speaks to how the Pacers feel about his injuries because he's finished the last two years on the bench in street clothes. So they obviously are comfortable uh, with those pair of injuries, among other things, with him staying for at least a couple more years. Yeah, and you know, one thing that I kind of like, like I read as soon as it happened was he's still technically trade eligible, but it's been – I know Rick Carlisle and Miles both talked about like, this is home right now. Yeah, he's not being traded. No. Yeah. Also, if you're a player, you're not signing that deal if you don't already have a destination in mind. So, yes, he can technically be traded, but he will not be traded. Yeah, and I think that I think I saw the details are like he's getting like a huge boost this year, right? Yeah, another 17 million which this is the part of the renegotiation in addition to the contract extension is giving him 17 more million up front. So he's making 35 for this year, but then you reduce that by 40%. And that's what makes it attractive for the Pacers is because against their cap sheet for the next two years, he's worth, you know, 20 and 21 million, which is slightly above what he's making now, but a, which is like 18, mm -hmm. but it's a much smaller portion of the overall cap percentage and the cap's only going to go up. And that's yeah. the timing thing here. That's why he only did two years is because with the new TV deal coming in two years, he's presumably, you don't know for certain, but presumably should be able to cash in on at least another big deal, especially the type of center he is. He's not an old school Roy Hibbert where back to the basket physical who's out of the league and by 30 miles will be 29 and probably could get at least one more decent contract um, while still in the league. Yeah, for sure. 
And, you know, I want to touch on another guy here, a guy you guys traded for last year. Um, he's been out for a while. It's been a rough skid for the Pacers in that in that time frame. But well, you told me before we got on here that you have a you have some news about Tyrese Halliburton and his return. Yeah, Tyrese has been out for the last 10 games, really 11. They've lost 10 of the last 11, but he's hoping and planning to play on Thursday. has not has to get full clearance from the team. But he's, he was talking uh, Tuesday at practice how, you know, if it's up to him, he's playing. And then keep in mind Friday, Thursday, first of all, is against the Lakers, always a bigger game. But then Friday, if it's up to him, there's no way he's missing that one too because it's Sacramento. It's their only visit to Indianapolis of the year. Reunion game, if you will. Um, yeah, I would definitely foresee him being back then. Thursday's probably um, going to happen, but they just want to see how he comes through after a couple of full practices this week first because they have three days between games. Yeah, and both of those should be a lot of fun. I mean, I don't know if a lot of people remember, but the last time that the Pacers played the Lakers, you had the insane Andrew Nimhard buzzer beater. And then, mm -hmm. like you said, about the reunion with Sacramento and Tyrese. So definitely looking forward to those after their little break that they got here. Um, you know, coming into this year, this team didn't have very many expectations. Um, a lot of people viewed them as a low lottery team, you know, bottom of the standings. Um, to this point, you know, like we said, they've had a rough, had a rough last, you know, 10 to 12 games, whatever, since uh, Tyrese got hurt. But it's shown that when everyone's playing, like they're a pretty good basketball team. So how's that just been in Indiana, you know, fans, team, coaches, morale? Like, how's that been just with a complete flip of what the projection was of this team? Yeah, I mean, everybody's surprised by it, even the front office and everyone. They were talking about a rebuild, preparing us. Hey, it's going to be ugly at times. There's going to be a couple good wins, maybe like that Lakers, Andrew Nemhard hitting a buzzer beater. There was, will be some highlights, but it'll mostly be bad. Um, now, I didn't think it was going to be ever as bad as, you know, bottom four teams. So I was picturing, you know, more like they'd have the sixth, seventh overall draft pick, one more hit at the lottery, which would be three in a row. But that's a rarity for the Spacers team because before recent history, they had reached the playoffs in 29 of 35 years. They had been the model of a team that has consistent success, but never big success, meaning uh, always good, never great, never horrible. Um, whereas the Kings, I think, looking to end and will, I think, uh, in the stretch of what, 16 straight years of not reaching the playoffs. That's a very different level of performance but to your point yeah you're absolutely right no one was expecting it to be nearly this successful um i think one more win and they'll already have as many wins as vegas predicted them or or set the line at 24 and a half entering the year but tyrese coming back is a huge enhancement i think we've already knew his value but him being away only enhanced and, and furthered the point of what he means to this team on the court yeah, for sure. And, you know, just a just backtracking to the trade deadline last year, I remember being very thrown off by the trade. I knew that there was like some talk between the Kings and the Pacers. And I kept just from I feel like things backtracking that, that I was reading and hearing. I kept hearing about like Fox potentially being moved. I never thought it was going to be Tyrese. Like, did were you guys did you guys see it coming or was did it throw you off? I can stop couch? you right there. We didn't see it coming in nor the Tyrese. <laughs> Tyrese was out out at dinner night before. Oh, I'm good. I'm they're not trading me. They already told me they're not trading me. I'm good. So if he's surprised, everybody else was surprised. Um, even the league, because I think other teams are sitting there like, Well, shoot, if Tyrese was available, we would have put in an offer. Yeah. For him. Um, and it's so far, it's worked out fantastically well for both franchises. 
I think tomorrow, or coming up Thursday, actually it is, you'll see Tyrese and you'll see Demonis Sabonis both mean, both be named all-star reserves. And, I mean, both teams are doing better than they expected going into this year. And I think those two players in their new franchises are a direct result of that. Yeah, and, you know, that's two players as well that could have been argued to be all-star starters this season. I mean, I'm not going to say they should have should should or shouldn't have been, but definitely had an argument. And so I guess that kind of furthers your point of, like, how well it's really, truly worked for both sides. Um, you know, Halliburton, along with another guy that they drafted this year, this past year in Benedict Matherin with the sixth overall pick, I didn't know a whole lot about who the Pacers might pick. I didn't know if it was going to be Sharp or Matherin, and I remember kind of being thrown off by Matherin. Not that I thought it was bad or anything, but just didn't really know. Um, and that pick has obviously panned out extremely well. Um, Matherin, you know, this year, you know, definitely has a leap, like on second and rookie of the year at this point. Obviously, with Paolo playing as well as he has, has kind of secured that one spot probably for the entire year. But Matherin averaging about 18 points, four rebounds. You know, he's shooting – a little a little sub of 43%. The three-point shooting was fantastic to start the season. It's kind of fallen off a little bit, but still looks good. I have no doubt that he's going to be a good shooter long-term. Um, how happy have just Pacers people just everywhere been with Benedict Mather in his rookie season to this point? Yeah, they've been overjoyed by him. And I can tell you the Pacers were zeroed in on Benedict in the draft several months ahead of time. That was, that was very predictable um, that they were going to go that route. He immediately connected – with head coach Rick Carlisle, provides a toughness and attitude, a competitiveness that not only helps him in games, but even in practices. Like he was hitting hitting mats and throwing balls, like just frustrated by losing a pickup game. Like, and this team quite honestly has not had that. That's part of the reason they have been successful is that becomes contagious and they've found and sought after those traits elsewhere um, and, and going into the season, obviously. And so, uh, Quite an honor for both him and Andrew Nimhard coming up to be in the Rising Stars Challenge at All-Star Weekend, um, or Rising Stars game. I guess it's not a challenge as much, but um, that was fully predictable as well. Those two have been two of the top rookies in the league this year. Um, and, but Matherin's just, even with the high expectations, I'll tell you, man, they they've still have been pleasantly surprised with how quickly he's been able to contribute. He scored 20-plus points in the last five. He's getting to the free throw line so so much. I think he is, feels like he 10 times like per game. Top, he is like one of the top players in the entire league in terms of drawing fouls. Oh, for sure. I, I bet it's top dozen because he does it so well and so often. And he's doing so while coming off the bench, which I think is fine this year. But you can tell, man, you look at, especially after this Miles Turner extension, the future for this team at its core, at least in the short term, is Halliburton with Matherin along with Miles Turner right there. And then you got several ancillary pieces that could be part of it, or maybe they won't be. Yeah, and, you know, let's talk about Nimhard for a second. Um, stolen, basically, out of the second round. Um, you know, he's he's been a guy that's starting a lot now, and he's actually picking up some of the toughest defensive assignments in the entire league to this point. Um you know, I thought he was a really good player out of college. I understood he was a little bit older. I remember being a little surprised that he slid to the second round. But that pick has obviously clearly paid off in a huge way for the team. Um, you know, I know some people are like, hey, why is Benedict not starting? But it's just like, I don't know. I just kind of take it as like they've got a great young core. 100%. Yeah, Nimhard being that first pick of the second round, they ended up paying him the highest paid contract for a second round guy with the highest guaranteed of any of uh, – 
U.S. player. There's an overseas player that did get a, a little higher, but Pacers have believed in him. He was the biggest standout or surprise standout, I would say, during training camp. Now, no one predicted him to con- be able to contribute or or it do to contribute at this level uh, during the season. Um, because you're right, the biggest point is he's taking on the biggest defensive assignment every single game. We knew he could handle the ball. We knew he could shoot. We knew he had some confidence. But his defense has been um, something that they've, one, needed, um, but two, also something that you couldn't have imagined going into this season. Like, we're going to see him guard LeBron coming up on Thursday. That'll be his top assignment. So, um, And he does it quite well despite looking like as a guy that's, quite undersized, especially being a rookie. Usually those guys put on put on the most weight from the rookie to sophomore season. Yeah, um, I'm definitely excited for his development going forward, for Matherin's development going forward. Um, something else actually happened over the summer that I want to hit on a little bit um, when the Pacers decided to trade Malcolm Brogdon. Um, you know, the two players that are still on this roster from that trade are Aaron Neesmith and Daniel Tice. Tice has not yet played. Um, you got some information today about him. I believe. Yeah, but I actually reported last week that Daniel Tice was targeting this Thursday against the Lakers to play. Again, yeah. he just needs the team to sign off on it. But all all indications are that he'll be playing coming up on Thursday. That'll be his debut, uh, assuming they ch- send him in. I think he'll be yeah. dressed and ready to go. Yes. But it honestly might be a read for Rick Carlisle where he knows Tice is available, but it's a close game or they have it going. And he's like, look, we need to get back in the win column. So it would not surprise me if Rick says, let's push it one more game only because I got to focus on the short term. And, and Daniel has not played in a game this season. Yeah, for sure. And, um, and Neesmith has been really good. I think that was one of the underrated pieces. I mean, I know they ultimately probably did the, did the deal because they got a first round pick out of it, but Neesmith probably flew under the radar in that trade and has, been another guy that you could consider a great member of their young core for sure yeah da- or Aaron wasn't a throw-in I mean he's a guy that uh, the Pacers liked his potential one thing they really try to target in trades is guys that are made to be underutilized or undervalued um, with their current team and with Aaron he wasn't getting in purely because look who was ahead of him Jalen Brown Jason Tatum Marcus Smart I mean where do you find a fit for him to not only get time but he was a lottery pick that needs time to develop and, and get significant minutes on the regular. So he was getting like 10, 12, 13 minutes per game. And so he comes here and has proven to be that two-way player that he wanted to. That's what he talked about this summer at Summer League when he was acquired by the team. Uh, the main reason the Pacers did that deal was to get off Malcolm Brogdon's contract. And so to get a first-round pick was ideal. Everything else was bonus, but they did like Aaron Neesmith. And Daniel Tice will see what he becomes, whether – I think he'll probably finish out this season. Uh, then it's just a matter as if he's part of the group going into next year or if they could find a trade that works out better for both sides. Yeah. Um, you know, and last thing I want to touch on that happened in the summer was I didn't know for sure, but I remember there was a lot of, you know, heat around the Lakers maybe being willing to throw in both of their, both of those first-round picks for Miles Turner and Buddy Heald. Did you guys and like with the Pacers ever think that that was a real possibility or going to happen? I think it was a decent possibility. I it all came down to if the Lakers were willing to part with two valuable draft picks, and a lot of people in the league see those picks 
it's incredible because LeBron surely won't be playing. And if he, or if he is, I mean, probably not at 2027, uh, it'd be in another team, for example. And so who knows, especially if you could get no protection on those, I mean, maybe that they're a lottery team then probably not, but I mean, it's all a guess game at this point, but I think that was something the Pacers would have been interested in doing to pick up a couple future first round picks. But then again, Things changed too, you know, in December when the Pacers got off to a, uh, after losing their first few games, they got off to a good start. Things were clicking. The energy, the vibe was really good and encouraging that I think that would make the Pacers rethink that deal again because with Miles Turner, I think you're always going to be able to get a first round pick for him and probably Buddy alone as well in a separate deal. So it becomes how much do you covet those draft picks versus somebody else's first round picks. Um, so it never got far far enough along because the Lakers weren't willing to part with him and still haven't been willing to part with him, um, which may be a smart thing, but also they need to maximize what they have with LeBron right now. But yep. to the Pacers' point, uh, it, there were conversations, but nothing where the can got kicked too far down the road. Yeah, um, and I, I know you know about this. I know you've definitely listened to it. What was your reaction when you heard Miles Turner on uh, Adrian Wojnarowski's podcast? <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a little awkward trying to probably break the ice with the first question being about, you know, would you be willing to play for the Lakers? Um, I don't know. That, that was bizarre, but that was done with some intent behind it, both, <laughs> I think, from you know, Miles and his agency standpoint and trying to generate more interest and, and show more value. And it's a, also it was a way to break the ice to kind of get that question over with. But um, both both uh, Miles and Tyrese have gone on that podcast. Yeah. Tyrese was on recently, I think. Right. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, both times when the Pacers were in New York, which yeah, is where yeah. he is. Yeah. Um I just remember whenever I first, because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a regular listener to a lot of podcasts, and Woj is being one of them. And I just remember, you know, going in to listen, and that was the first thing, and I was like, "What is going on here?" <laughs> but, oh, hundred percent, yeah, yeah. But but it's over, you know. Extension now, he seems to really love Indiana. Um, I want to talk about the approach here for the rest of the season. Um, as we go into the trade deadline, do you think there's are the are the Pacers still looking to improve? I think so. Uh, it all comes down to what other teams are offering and how high the price is, right? Like if you could get OG and Anobi for two first round picks, I think you do that in a minute. Three kind of depends how high they are and four, you're not even considering it. I don't yeah. think. Um, and and th same goes through for other players and other teams throughout the league. Like one, how do you evaluate talent that you have to acquire after what we saw with Minnesota and Utah with Rudy Gobert kind of resetting the market there? I think much like in the NFL with Deshaun Watson, that's an outlier. And you kind of need to ignore that, throw that idea away and go back to the previous notion. Like, you know, the Rudy Gobert is not worth what turned out to be like six round, six first round picks. If you include a guy that was drafted the previous year, like that, that's new owner syndrome, um, <laughs> if anything right there. But I think the Pacers would be willing to upgrade. They have $8 million in cap space. I think probably more likely than not, they sit tight. Maybe they make a smaller move. Um, it'd be nice, honestly, if they were able to free up one one roster spot. Uh, I just don't see Goga Pataze, for example, who's on an expiring deal to have value. 
Mm-hmm. I doubt you could even get a second round pick for him, but that's something that would make sense for both sides. But um, right now, you probably won't hear much movement for another week, and then things will really pick up leading into the um, trade deadline next Thursday. Yeah, is, is there any name in particular on the Pacers roster that you might say to look out for, or would you say it's all kind of just, hey, we'll see at this point? I mean, there's a lot of interest around the league in Chris Duarte in terms of trading off. Um, not that like the Pacers are trying to move on from him, but uh, again, if I think a, a deal would be sweet enough, although I, I can't imagine it will be because Chris isn't playing as well as he did last year right now. He's kind of in a down part, um, although he's played better over the last week or two, so that could help. I think it's more likely than not the Pacers don't do too much here, get to the off season, and after getting a full season of seeing what Tyrese, what Matherin, what Turner, and the rest of this group look like, then you tweak your roster. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the rest of the season going forward after the trade deadline, I mean, I would assume that this team is looking, as soon as they get Tyrese back, to go right back into trying to be in the play-in picture or higher up and maybe, maybe make their way back to the top six. The players maybe, but I don't think that would be the best situation here. Yeah, they're not a championship contending roster. There is no gain for them to be in the play-in or in the playoffs. This would be this should be this should continue to be a season where they are focused on development and figuring out what they have. I think it, the worst case scenario would be for this franchise to finish uh, in the play-in game to qualify for the first round, then get swept and they got nothing accomplished but a worse draft pick. <laughs> Um, I mean, I agree with you there. I just, it, I don't know what to think anymore because even whenever I thought that there might be a tank at the beginning of the season, you know, it seemed like ownership was like, nope, like we're, we're winning basketball games. No, t- f- ownership gave f- full approval. Finally, Herb Simon did to oh. kind of go on a rebuild. Okay. Then they started winning and they started to reassess the situation and realize it's going to be harder to do so. I mean, basically they've outperformed all expectations internally and externally. And so it's not that they were going to tank. They just didn't think they were going to be good. Yeah. Um, and that's where you would consider doing more trade deals um, just because if you're not winning anyway and you could add other pieces to help you in the future, that's what you want to do. Yeah. Um, you know, it's definitely – I think the winning to an extent has probably paid off in the sense that, like, you know, you talked about it on your last pod and, like, I've noticed that, you know, Pacers games that I'm watching is, like, they're starting to hear, get some sellout crowds and like have way more like fan probably interaction than they have in the recent years. Yeah, for sure. Last year, last in attendance. They started this season last in attendance. They're a little, little up from that. They've only had two sellouts, but that's, that's an improvement. Um, you're starting to – I think this also, in fairness, goes directly correlated to the Colts having an awful season. So <laughs> as those fans wanted to turn off from NFL, from the Colts specifically – they want to find a winner. And so you have IU and Purdue from the college ranks. And by the way, that game's coming up on Saturday and should be fun in college. But then the Pacers are winning. And more than anything, they're playing a fun style. They're shooting threes. They're playing fast. They're really good in transition. It's a fun brand basketball to watch, even if they're losing. Um, and there's a vision in mind here, oh, yeah. not for this season, but for next season in the future with a, a new face of the franchise and Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah, and I've I've loved, I think, just watching them in particular of so many guys have kind of like bought into their role in Indiana this year. And there's a lot of like you don't see a lot of selfish play in Indiana. A lot of guys are trying to connect, you know, make it make the extra pass like they're buying. They're not particularly, you know, great on the defensive end, but they've bought in and tried to be good on that end. 
And yeah, you know, like you said about Tyrese, I mean, this guy is a future superstar. Like, I, I think I can confidently say that with his ability. You know, he's a 2010 guy right now. He could probably lead the league in assists at some point, if not this year. He's a, he was already leading him in assists. <laughs> it still is per game, but he lost the total because he's missed the last 10 and a half games. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he, he's just That's that no kind surprise. of guy. He's that kind of guy. Like, And I think what I like about him is that you know, I don't know his exact usage rate, but just like I test of, he does not have to full on dominate the ball. Like, for instance, a Luca or a Trey. And no disrespect, those guys are great, but it's like when you can have a guy that has like the impact Tyrese does without having to have the ball nearly as much as those two guys. I, I like that just from my perspective. Yeah, he's a pass first point guard. And that's one reason Miles has excelled this year is because he's playing with the best point guard of his career and he's now in year eight. And so every, Tyrese lifts everybody's game. And also has kind of a positive vibe, positive spirit. And honestly, he's one of that one of those that much rather finish with 15 assists than have 30 points. Yeah. And I think that's a direct reflection of both this market and the team and culture that they finally have here. Because that's the other thing is this team, in my opinion, has been poor in terms of identity and culture the last several years. Now I feel one. Now I see it. You can tangibly talk and see what they want to do and what they are about this year. And guess what? That's why I think in large part they've had some wins yeah and you know i think it's kind of i don't know i know that the king it's going to hopefully pay off for the kings this year they made the move but i I just never understood why you would trade a guy like halliburton and i you know i feel like you could see it when he got the opportunity especially the point guard opportunity he got when like fox specifically was out in sacramento um but they they've indiana secured themselves a very very special player what you've seen, I think, is both teams had overlap. Pacers had two centers that were trying to start, Sabonis and Turner. Both great players, Sabonis the all-star. And then you go to Sacramento. You got Fox, Halliburton, both great players, both probably all-stars, certainly will be in their careers, even if both don't make it this year. Um, they basically, basically swap problems, and in doing so, both teams have excelled. Yeah. yeah and, uh, you know, I it's kind of crazy too to think that like you guys got healed out of that because of how good he's been this year. I mean, and not just this year either, like throughout his career, he is one of the most prolific three point shooters on in terms of like where he's at in his career in NBA history. <laughs> yeah. And most of all, he's durable, doesn't miss games. But second of all, yeah, with Curry missing time this year, it's buddy who has the most threes of all players in the league right now. Um, and he plays even better with Tyrese. They have a fun, like brotherly love hate relationship where they get on each other's nerves, but have fun, set each other up. And so we, you've seen a clear decline in Buddy's production with Tyrese being out. So there's no player that is more excited to see Tyrese back on the floor than Buddy this week. Yeah. Well, I, I'm excited to see them back. Um, you know, you've talked about how you have like your hope and Pacers fans have their hope of like, what could be going into the offseason and next season. I'm just glad to see uh, Pacers be good again. My first NBA game ever was a Pacers game. It was a, it was the playoffs in 20, 2013 or 14, whenever they were playing the Heat. And I will forever remember how great those fans were because it made my experience as a fan so good. Um, so it's good to see those kind of fans back and, you know, cheering for that team again. Um, last little thing kind of before we go here, what are you kind of expecting – as we go into next season, like, do you think that they're expecting a pretty significant jump in the next season? Yeah, the next year you're you're talking about the playoffs. You're probably talking about being a 
five, six seed, ideally. Um, but so much of that is inconclusive. It's, yeah. you know, what is their draft going to look like right now? They have three picks, their own, yeah. along with Cleveland and Boston, which will probably be like 24 and 30. Um, but what do you do? Maybe you package all of them. Maybe you package yeah. the bottom two ones and a player and upgrade. Uh, maybe you're able to add that wing that they've desperately needed. Maybe you get the power forward that they've needed for several years now. Um, but right now, just going on the trajectory of this group of these players um, and with Matherin, I mean, he'll be in the starting lineup next year, certainly, yeah. and probably take his game to a whole nother level. Uh, mm -hmm. So I would see them being not that first or second tier, but really that third tier in the Eastern Conference, probably the five or six seed if things go well. Yeah, and I think, like, that would be great. Like, with where they're at, you know, guys age-wise. Um, and I have another question for you here, just kind of random. Um, as they go into the draft, um, obviously, you know, they do have the three picks, and they might be able to, you know, trade up for something or take the two picks to the bottom, trade up, trade up, take the two picks, trade for somebody else, whatever. Um, is there a prospect in particular or two that you're looking at outside of, like, obviously, you know, Victor and Scoot, who are, like, the prize possessions at number one and two, that you're like – Hey, I think this guy could fit really well in this Pacers team. Honestly, haven't looked. I, I haven't paid attention too much to that. There's so much with the NBA throughout the season that, oh, yeah. you know, you see the Thompson twins, you see Scoot, and you see Victor. Outside of that, I, I don't really dive in too much until after the Pacers season, which is usually mid-April if they don't make the playoffs. And then you got three months to really examine the fit and how what the player projects to be. Um, you also have a better indication of who's coming out as well um, because there's – I like to see how players compete in the NCAA tournament most of all because that's when that's when the, the environment steps up, the games get more intense and all of that. Um, I've never been one to get too much into the mock drafts or anything like that, uh, whereas I know a lot of people love that stuff. It's just not really my thing. Yeah, no, I get it, man. And I totally agree with you on the tournament thing. It is it's a lot of fun to see kind of mm -hmm. like – who steps up, you know, who might not play as well. You know, some of them may only get, like, one game, and it's like you can't really hold them to it. But it is it is always fun to see those, like, stock risers that just really climb up throughout the tournament. So totally agree with you there. But, Scott, I really appreciate you, man. I'm glad that we were finally able to work this out. Um, I know I forgot to mention this at the beginning, but, guys, Scott has a podcast called Fieldhouse Files. Um, Scott, what platforms are you on on that? Everywhere you can get it. Every, Which well, is, I think, every most people are Apple Podcasts and Spotify, right? Yeah. Well, I highly recommend it. Scott's a great listen. That's kind of like how I got into like wanting Scott to hop on here, and very fortunate that he's able to come on. So, uh, Scott, thank you for taking your time, man. Really appreciate you. You bet. Good luck, man. Appreciate you. Okay. And that being said, this is the end of episode thirty-nine of Coast to Coast Podcast. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs>